You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you on this uh, very special day in the life of the church. We also say um, willkommen, uh, welcome. Is that how you say it in German, Dan? Willkommen. Uh, I learned that from musical theater. I don't really know German. Um, Dan is back from Germany, uh, so we're thankful for his return. You can clap. That's okay. Yeah. Welcome back, Dan. That's good to see you. So we start a new worship series today. It's based on C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, which is a really interesting work. It's a collection of 31 letters from one demon to another. (laughs) Interesting work uh, for us to talk about this day. And I do have to say one footnote uh, because I'm behind the pulpit and I'm talking about demons. This is a work of fiction. This is C.S. Lewis's work of fiction. Okay, so let's just, let's have that assumption uh, before we begin. Our scripture lesson today, which is not a work of fiction, is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. It'll be on the screens and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, Kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us to hear your word this day. Through Christ, make us worthy of the task you have given to us. May your wisdom unite our lives together through the work of our hands and our minds. Help us to fall in love with your kingdom and those within it. In the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Uh, First, I want to say thank you uh, to those of you who sent me messages over the last couple of weeks that you've been reading uh, the Screwtape Letters. I think that's fantastic. There's several Sunday school classes who are reading it, several individuals who are reading it. It's very exciting uh, when we have a worship series on a book. It's back to school Sunday, after all. Uh, So reading a book before you come to church is is a good thing. So it's exciting that so many of you are reading the Screwtape Letters, and it is not too late to go to the library, pick it up, or download it, or, God forbid, get a book and like open it up and turn pages, you know, and write notes in it. Uh, it's not too late to do that. Um, but it's also slightly terrifying that so many of you are reading it because it certainly holds me accountable to present it well. Screwtape Letters was written by C.S. Lewis in 1942, and that context is important. He is in England, and he's writing during World War II. War is one of those lessons that you find throughout 
the story and throughout the book. We'll say a little bit about that later. But C.S. Lewis, by his own admission and by his own words, said that it was the most difficult work of his to write. And he wrote several things, right? Mere Christianity, the great divorce, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, right? C.S. Lewis wrote lots of different works, but this was the most difficult. Why? It's because it's a work of sarcasm. It's a work of irony. It's antithetical. It's kind of like those of you uh, in, in high school English who read Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal and had to read that, and that was required reading, something that is antithetical, that uses sarcasm and irony. So sometimes it's difficult to read. We have to read it slowly. So it's a collection of 31 letters from one demon to another, to Uncle Screwtape, who is a chief demon, to his nephew, Wormwood. Now, Wormwood has been appointed a patient, and it is Wormwood's job to corrupt him for their father below, as they say. So it's an interesting book because sometimes when we read it, I find myself reading and saying, oh yeah, right on, we should be doing that. Oh wait, (laughs) it's the demon's advice to another demon. (laughs) Maybe I should be doing, that's why it's a difficult read because some of the advice in there, we say, yeah, this is great, this is good advice, but actually what we should be doing is counter to the advice given. I love that this book is, is just disassociative enough for us to hear it with fresh ears. What I mean by that is when you hear something, uh, when you read something and, and, and screw tape is giving this advice, like you should do this, this will be really good. And at first you're like, yeah, this is good. Oh, wait, <laughs> he's trying to corrupt someone. It's disassociative, right? It's, it's, <clears throat> it's antithetical. It's backwards. So you have to read it slowly. For example, um, I often teach, when I, when I teach young clergy uh, preaching uh, for the district, and uh, I'm glad you're all sitting down. I'm, I'm glad no one is maybe totally surprised by that, that I, you might be surprised that I teach preaching to young clergy. Um, one of the things that I teach them is that if you find that you're losing the congregation, and that doesn't happen here, I'm just hypothetically, if you find that you're losing the congregation, a trick is to do something slightly disassociative, which means you say a statement, but you phrase it as a question, like I just did. It's a statement, but you say it as if it was a question, and the people who are nodding off start nodding to you. It reconnects, because it's just just disassociative enough for folks to Re-engage. And that's what this book is. It is just counter enough. It is just disassociative enough. It uses just enough sarcasm uh, and it's antithetical enough for us to hear some profound Christian truths in a non-threatening new way. So screw tape offers some interesting gems <laughs> in in this, in this book. Uh, early in this series of letters, we find that Wormwood's patient has been going to church. And Screwtape at first says, oh, this is, this is terrible. He's going to church. But, but, this might be a good thing for us. Here's a quote. This is what Screwtape says to Wormwood early in the book. He says, 
one of our great allies at present is the church itself. Just going to leave that on the screens for just a moment. (laughs) So here's a demon writing to another demon who says, hey, I'm disappointed that your patient is going to church, but one of our great allies at present is the church itself. I'm going to chew on that for just a second. How could it be that the church is an ally of these demons who are trying to corrupt someone? (laughs) Well, he continues. So he says, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic erection on the new building estate. At his present stage, he has an idea of Christians in his mind, which he supposes to be spiritual, but which, in fact, is largely pictorial. So, his patient is very new to the church. And that's a good and glorious thing. That's an awesome thing. Hear me clearly. It's an awesome. This is one of those sermons where um, if you leave too soon, you'll start a rumor. Right? So it's a good thing to go to church. Okay? But because his patient is so new... Screwtape wants Wormwood to encourage him to create a picture of the church in his mind. In other words, what he wants his patient to see and understand and perceive is that church is a great sounding choir. And church is bright, vibrant screens. And church is a big, beautiful sanctuary cool to a crisp 72 degrees. He wants this to be his default picture of what church is, the whole of what church is. There is nothing wrong with having a beautiful choir. There's nothing wrong with having lyrics on screens or a sanctuary that's cooled to a crisp 72 degrees. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is when we have this picture, this default picture in our mind of what church is, when we see a different picture, we meet that picture with Swift suspicion. That's not church. They don't have screens. Or that's not church. They play guitar. That's not church. They dunk people all the way under instead of sprinkle them in baptism. When we fall in love with the picture in our mind, it is very difficult to grow and to move. And to allow room for the Holy Spirit to transform us. He wants his patient to fall in love with the picture of church in his mind. Not the church itself. Not the kingdom. But a pic- so, for example, there's an artist named Magritte. French artist uh, who did this, this painting. And the, the caption under it says, Ceci n'est pas un pipe. Which means, this is not a pipe. So what is it? It's a picture of a pipe. (laughs) Not the pipe itself. He wants him to fall in love with the picture that he is creating in his mind of what a Christian is and what worship should be. Because if his patient starts to do things like go to Wednesday night connection or to join a small group study or to serve on a mission trip, or volunteer with the Boy Scouts, or help sort food on Monday mornings for our food pantry, that picture begins to mature and change and grow. And that is not 
what wormwood wants. Wormwood or screw tape. Now this should give us this should give us pause. This should give us pause because we all have, and I, I'm, I'm very nervous about using the royal we because I don't want to assume where you are in your journey, uh, but I'm confident in this one. We all have a picture in our mind of what church looks like, or at least should. We all have this picture in our mind, and there's nothing wrong with having this picture in our mind, as long as we understand that our interpretation is not the whole of the gospel. Our picture and our preference, albeit good and holy and righteous at times, is not the whole of the gospel. In other words, if I, if I surveyed uh, everyone in the congregation and asked you, like, what, what should church be? What should church look like? What should the opening hymn of a church service be? I would probably get a hundred and... 47, pastors are good at eyeballing these things, 147-ish different answers of what that opening hymn should be or what church looks like. Again, nothing wrong, but then we get into these really silly arguments when we see a picture that's different than the one that's in our mind. For example, I love singing Silent Night at the end of the Christmas Eve worship service. I love singing Silent Night by Candlelight at the end of Christmas Eve worship service. Here's a footnote. Do not start this rumor. We will be singing Silent Night during Christmas Eve service this year. Don't start that rumor. But my point is, would Jesus be born if we didn't sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve? Of course. Or or if we did a new version of Silent Night. Like the David Crowder version of Silent Night that ends with a hoedown. Would Jesus still be born? Would there still be presence under the tree? Of course. Of course there would be. But we have this picture of what it should be. And sometimes, sometimes when we find something counter to that that picture, we meet it with great suspicion. Let me just remind you, we will be singing Silent Night out of the hymnal on Christmas Eve service. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to read. I'm gonna, I know I'm just, I know I'm going to get an email around about Wednesday. Hey, preacher, I heard we're not doing silent night. Why don't you love Jesus? You know, this kind of thing. You know, we get, we get emails like this. We all have a picture in our mind of what church is supposed to look like. That's inescapable. That is inescapable. Screwtape once warm, wormwood to elevate his patient's picture to the point where his picture is truth itself. And that's where we've made a misstep. He also wants his patient to have a deep emotional experience at church. Now, what's wrong with having a deep emotional experience at church? Nothing, except especially for a new Christian. There is a difference between emotion and conviction. There's a great difference between emotion and conviction. There's nothing wrong with having an emotional, powerful, moving worship experience. The problem is when you come to church and we're having an off day, and that's equated with God somehow missing or not present. Sometimes we, we live under the false assumption that being in Christ means that we are called to be happy all the time. Hear me clearly there's nothing wrong with being happy. 
<laughs> There's nothing wrong with being in Christ and being joyful and being, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The problem is when you're not and thinking that you're not happy because somehow God's presence has left you. Read the Psalms. If anything, the Psalms teach us of our great human condition. Of people saying, tears have been my food day and night. Lord, where are you? Where have you been? People shaking their fist at the heavens. And it's in the Bible. We call it the word of God. He wants his patient to come to church and have an amazing time. Because he knows. He knows that one day it won't be so amazing. Choir might be off one day. The preacher might forget the pastoral prayer and screw up the order of worship. Someone might be rude to you, or you might not be welcomed. That does not mean that God's presence has left us. It means that we are still on the road, as John Wesley would say, toward Christian perfection. (laughs) We just haven't made it yet. I have a friend, for example. I have a friend uh, who was suffering with depression. This was several years ago. He was suffering with depression, and he first went to go see his pastor. Uh, And this was at my home church in uh, Slidell, Louisiana, First United Methodist Church in Slidell. And he came and and spoke with the pastor, and he said, "I, I know that I should have the joy of Christ. I know that my Redeemer lives, as we read in the book of Job. But I feel nothing. I've lost the ability to feel And preacher, I I need your help. And the pastor, the pastor had the courage to ask him, have you been to a doctor? And my friend said, well, no, I'm supposed to come to you first. He goes, no, 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 no. Have you been to a doctor? God created really smart people who, who, who can help you. You might be dealing with simply a chemical imbalance. This person had had a heart attack. And sometimes after a heart attack, depression follows because the chemicals in your body are all out of whack. And have you been to a doctor? You might be dealing with a chemical imbalance, not your fault. Now, if the doctor can't help you, that's when you come to see the great physician. That's when you come and let us pray over you and invite the Holy Spirit to intervene. The courage of a pastor, because we pastor, we, we like to be right a lot. And, and when someone asks us for help, we like to offer it. And the courage of the pastor to say, no, no, no. Uh, go to a doctor first. Start there. And then if the doctor can't help you, that's when we'll get the anointing oil out. That's when we will pray. And that's when we'll invite the great physician to do that work. This is why emotion versus conviction. Emotion ebbs and flows and changes and alters. We're happy. We're sad sometimes. And and hear me clearly. I hope that you leave Asbury with a smile on your face and you're feeling good and you're excited. It's just the problem is that that excitement typically wanes after your Sunday afternoon nap and, and, uh, or maybe you're starting homework or maybe you're starting the, the work week and you kind of forget the emotion comes and goes. Conviction, however, is transformative. Conviction transforms us and changes us. This is why the fruit of the Spirit, to get back to the text, the fruit of the Spirit is so important. Now, Paul, uh, Paul in, in Galatians 5, he starts and he gives us this laundry list of, uh, of sins, right? He talks about uh, licentiousness, 
which you rarely hear um, on Twitter or anywhere. Uh, licentiousness, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions. Understand, he's not, he's not writing a checklist. In other words, we're not supposed to be reading Galatians 5 in this chapter and to see which ones we've committed and which ones we've not. Like, okay, licentiousness, I've not done that because I have no idea what that word means. Envy, okay, I might have been envious, I'll check that box this week. Drunkenness, uh, football season's coming. Uh, Envy, carousing. He's not giving us this list. It's not a small group exercise where you put like bad things in column A, good things in column B, and you see how many bad things you've done so that you know how many good things to do in this column. That's not what Paul is doing. Christ did not come to establish a new law, and neither did Paul. The clue is, at the end of this, so we have envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By contrast, we have the fruit of the Spirit. And here's the contrast. These works of the flesh turn us inward. They make us slaves to ourselves. Impurity, jealousy, anger, quarrels. We are slaves to the emotions that come from the works of the flesh. By contrast, we have joy, love, generosity, peace, kindness. These things, these works of the, of, of the Spirit open us up and they demand of us to be connected with one another. The works of the flesh turn us inward, or as uh, St. Augustine would say, curvatus, our soul is curved in on itself, or makes us impossible to see above our own shoes. However, the fruit of the Spirit, this work of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are the things that open us up to see our connectedness with one another in God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. We had a whole series on it in July. So in other words, Paul is not creating this list to say, these schmucks are out, these guys are in. As if St. Peter at the gates are, okay, did you commit licentiousness? Let me back up. Do you know what licentiousness means? Okay, check. No. The key, in other words, it's not a list about getting in or out. Or I wasn't kind today. I need to make sure I make it home because if not, I don't know if I'm going up or down. That is not what Paul is getting at. What he is trying to say, and what I desperately am in this moment, is that if we are kind, if we are loving, if we are gentle, it opens us up to see the kingdom that is at hand, to see the kingdom that Christ has already established. Don't wait until you're dead to be in communion with God. Kindness, generosity, these are the things that transform the picture that we have in our mind that sometimes we equate with truth. That's what it means to inherit the kingdom, is to see it and to participate in it here and now, loving the unlovable, seeing the people of God and serving one another. This is where conviction lies in the fruit of the Spirit. That steadfast, as I like to say, joy, joy is the steadfast assurance that God is with us. It's the fruit of the Spirit where this, con- this transformation happens. Conviction, 
happens. When we equate the picture in our mind as the standard or the archetype or the very definition of truth, growth is impossible. We must leave room for the Holy Spirit to move and to shape and to hit us between the eyes if need be for the glory of God. The screw tape letters can be a tricky read. I found myself saying, yes, this is exactly what we should do. We should fall in love with, with the choir. And I'm t- this is going to be hard today because the choir is doing a beautiful offertory today. I'm not saying you can't love the choir. I'm not saying you can't be filled with love and you can't be happy and love what's going on right now. I love the fact that you love Asbury. I just hope that you love Jesus more. Screw tape letters can be a tricky read because it's just counter enough. It's just antithetical enough. It's just disassociative enough for us to hear a profound truth with fresh ears, to see things with fresh eyes. Because if we, if we, rest, if we, let, if we rest in emotion alone, if we rest in only how church makes us feel, If we fall in love with a church at the expense of the kingdom, (laughs) we might find ourselves in a difficult place. I love that you love Asbury. I love it too. I just hope you love Jesus more in the kingdom to which God is calling us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Gracious and most loving God, help us to be drawn with conviction into your kingdom. Help us to celebrate and to give thanks for the picture that we have in our mind, but Father, also help us to grow and to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Help us to serve, help us to love, help us to be patient and kind, help open us up to see your kingdom that is here and now through the presence of Christ. May your Holy Spirit move through us and around us or even in spite of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.